chapter 24. Luke 24. It's on page 885. 885 if you're using the Bible in the pew. Or turn there, click there, whatever that looks like. Um, before we jump into that, I know we've prayed a lot today, which is good. Yes, that was, uh, man, what a just powerful thing just to see all of you praying and to build together, come before the Lord. Uh, let's pray one more time and just ask God to speak to our hearts uh, through his word this morning. God, you are good, and we are grateful for your presence. We're grateful to be able to be here in this place, uh, to be with family, to be with community, to be with you, God. I pray that you would encourage us through your word this morning and the presence of your spirit. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray you would challenge us. Whether we're sitting here or watching online, you would speak to the things that we need to hear this morning. Um, again, you are a great God. You are the same God of Abraham and Moses, God of everyone in the Old Testament, everyone in the church before us. And we come, we join with their voices, telling you that you are an amazing God, awesome God, worthy of worship and honor. And we praise you for that. We, just, we set before you as a privilege this morning, God. And we long to hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, to get us started um, on today's message, I want to tell you about a little moment of panic that I had on Friday. Uh, I lost one of my AirPod Pros. Not both of them. I lost one of them. So I was on campus, and I had got up from sitting at this table I was sitting at, pulled them out of my pocket to put them in and continue my great audiobook I'm listening to, opened them up, and one was missing. And it was just like, oh, oh. It's like, you know, immediately panic mode. Where are they at? Emptied my pockets. Nothing. Got, my, got on my hands and knees and looked under the table I was sitting at. Nothing. Went through my backpack. Nothing. Did all three of those again because maybe I missed something or it magically appeared from the last time I did all three of those. Has anybody ever done that when you've, when you've lost something, you just redo the thing over and over again? Just Maybe that's a weird thing of prayer. I asked the security desk where if anybody had turned it in, nothing. I finally had the light bulb duh moment of, okay, I need to retrace my steps. So I knew that I had them when I came in where I was, and I hadn't left the immediate area. So this kind of focused things. And I finally remembered, again, after the panic subsided, that I actually had dropped the case earlier. So I went back into the kitchen area where I had dropped it, and lo and behold, there was my AirPod Pro sitting on the floor in the corner by the wall. <sighs> went back to the spot, and sure enough, it was there. Now, here's the thing. I was only looking in the immediate space and time once I discovered it was gone. If I had immediately thought to backtrack, to go back, to retrace my steps, I would have figured it all out a lot quicker. Retracing my steps is what helped me in that moment. That's, in essence, the idea behind this new series that we're doing. It's called Finding Jesus. And the idea of this is that we're going to be retracing the steps that lead to Jesus. We're going to be looking back at different stories from the Old Testament that point to Jesus. It's a series about searching and finding, about exploring and discovering. It's a series about retracing the Old Testament steps to find Jesus. And here's why today's message is a little bit different, is that today's message is the prelude section before the novel, or the introduction before chapter one. Um, I've learned Sometimes the hard way not to skip those sections and just jump ahead to whatever the first part is because those are the things that set the stage of what's to come. 
And that's what today's about, is to set the stage of what's to come as we go through this series leading up to Easter. And today's passage is a story that takes place immediately after, right after Jesus rose from the dead, like within the, uh, just within that day or two. Uh, it's about two of his followers traveling down a road, heading west from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And during their journey, they have an unexpected encounter. Let's look at verse 13 in chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And so they're on, they're on the road. They're walking. They're sharing. They're debriefing. They're still trying to process and discuss the last 48 hours to figure out what has happened, why this is happening, what in the world is going on. And this isn't the busy streets of Chicago. This is more like kind of country road, walk, walking through the woods, down a trail, probably no one around. So the awkwardness is really real here when this guy, Jesus, just shows up, and they don't know who it is, but he just starts walking with them. And I can see them kind of like moving over a little bit, and Jesus kind of moving right back over by him. And it's like they're probably doing that thing. Okay, if I don't act like he's there, maybe he's not going to. And they just kind of kind of keep moving forward. But finally, Jesus, again, they don't know it's Jesus, but finally Jesus asked the question, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk on the road? It looks like you're bothered it looks like you're hurting. It looks like you're debating. It looks like you're troubled. What is this conversation that I'm overhearing? What is heavy on your hearts? And you and I don't walk the Emmaus Road, but on the roads and the buses and the L tracks that we do travel, in the coffee shops and the restaurants that we do sit at, we do have similar conversations. Sometimes it's with a friend or it's a confidant. Sometimes it's with ourselves. Sometimes it's an inner dialogue. However, the conversation occurs. Some part of our story is in the forefront of our mind. And I don't mean like minor things like, do I need to get milk on the way home or did I turn the stove off or whatever. Um, and even me saying that, if any of you, you've probably turned it off. So don't like get distracted by that. Nor even really the bigger things like exams or projects, meetings at work or bills or anything like that. What I'm referring to are those topics of conversation that are life-consuming, that become life-consuming, that are not only constantly on your mind, but they affect everything because they're constantly on your mind and constantly on your heart. We may get distracted by other day-to-day -day stuff, but we eventually come back to these consuming questions. And whatever it is that part of our story that we have conversations about or we want to have conversations about or maybe we don't realize or want to admit that we need to have conversations about. And so when you come in today with whatever you brought, what is the conversation that you're holding in your heart? What is the thing that would come out of you? What, would the, what is the thing Jesus would overhear? You're walking down Fullerton, maybe you're sitting on the red line, maybe you're across from a friend in a conversation. What would Jesus overhear 
you talking about? What conversation would be heavy? What conversation would be penetrating your thoughts? And maybe at its core, this is the reason why you are here this morning. Because you needed to think about that. You needed to process that. You needed some encouragement, some wisdom, some hope, and whatever that is. And really, at its core, it's why we're doing this series. Finding Jesus is not simply about obtaining new information about him. It's not about expanding our inventory of Bible facts or theological tidbits. Finding Jesus is about him entering into our stories, about him wanting to know what the conversation of our heart is that we're wrestling with, about connecting Jesus at the heart and life level. He wants us to find him because he wants to be part of our journeys. And so know that, that whatever conversation you're carrying today, whatever that thing is in your heart, know that Jesus already knows about it. And know that he cares about it. And know that he loves you in the midst of it. And he wants to walk with you in whatever that thing is. The story continues in verse 15. Then one of them, uh, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the thing that has happened here these last few days? I mean, are you clueless? Do you have no idea what's going on? Do you have no clue what has occurred in Jerusalem? Now remember, they're saying this to Jesus. So I can kind of see Jesus with a smirk going, hmm, maybe a little bit. Kind of knows what's going on. But then it says in verse uh, 19, that was verse 18 I just read, sorry. Verse 19. And then he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now these two, they clearly know who Jesus is. They knew the type of guy Jesus was. They knew what he taught. They knew what he was about. And they had a pretty somewhat clear understanding of the manner in which he died. But they also were very disappointed. They were also very, very disappointed. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We thought he'd come and rescue us from these Romans, that he'd clean house of our enemies, but nothing has changed. We thought everything was going to be different like that. Clean house, enemies gone, we're free. But everything is still the way it was. Disappointment and unmet expectations caused them to question what they knew about Jesus. Because they had a specific expectation that wasn't met. Now they're questioning the reality of everything they know about him. It's also causing them to question what others are saying about him. I mean, these women are saying they saw him, but others did not. It's been said how sad they are. So their conclusion on the matter seems pretty clear. They are disappointed. They are a bit hopeless. And they aren't just certain anymore. They're not just uncertain anymore about who Jesus is, but also about 
They're also uncertain what he's about. So that raises the question, do you have unmet expectations about Jesus this morning? As you come in here with your story and with those conversations on your heart, do you have unmet expectations when it comes to God? I thought life would have gone like this. I thought this never would have happened. I can't believe his follower did that. Why is life so hard? Why is it still so stinking cold? You have these questions that are on you. Had to end with the, you know, put things in a perspective question there. We all know a bit about Jesus to varying degrees. You at least know the name. But like these two travelers, how often is our understanding of him distorted because of unmet expectations. How often can our certainty about him or God or life get rattled because of things that have happened? We are these two travelers. You and I are these two travelers with our deep conversations about life and our unmet expectations. And we are, we are the two of these travelers probably more than we realize or we want to see. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now let's clarify something. Jesus isn't calling them stupid right here. But he's saying, after all you've experienced, and after all you've been taught, you're still not getting it. How easily you forget when things didn't go as you thought they would. He says, verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, one one question that we should raise here when we think about this story is, why didn't Jesus just reveal to him to these two guys who he was. I mean, it says earlier that he, they couldn't recognize him. So why are their eyes closed to recognizing him? Well, think about it like this. And this is pretty interesting to think about. The very beginning of Luke's gospel, the very start, like chapter 1, verse 1. In the very beginning, Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus, potential baby name, and expectant parents, Theophilus. And he says... It's, and this is what he says to Theophilus about why he wrote this gospel. He says, It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I mean, he's, it's excellent Theophilus. <laughs> that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. The whole reason why we have the gospel of Luke is so that Jesus' followers would have certainty about Jesus. He begins the whole gospel saying that this is going to be about having confidence in who Jesus is. And now he's ending the gospel with two guys who have zero confidence of who Jesus is. Because the reality is, is that after all the truth that we've been given, after everything that we can be proclaimed to us about the reality of Jesus, We still have unmet expectations, and we still deal with life, and we still need an encounter with the living Christ. 
They're not certain about why Jesus came to earth. They're not certain why the cross was necessary. And they're not certain why he really rose from the dead. But thankfully, Jesus knew the deeper reality of what they were experiencing and what they needed to grasp. Jesus knew that they needed to understand what was true, even if they didn't see his resurrected body. And Jesus knew they needed to know what was true and not go based only on their experiences or their feelings or unmet expectations. Jesus had told one of his other followers at one point, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus is, real, Jesus is speaking to these two, saying, I want to show you from the scriptures what you can believe and how to believe, even though you haven't seen. You and I are these two, these two travelers, and we are walking in their footsteps. We need to understand the reality of Jesus, even though we didn't actually see right there at the cave his, his risen body. How does Jesus respond to their uncertainty? He takes them back to the Old Testament. Can you imagine having a Bible study with Jesus? How awesome would that be? To have Jesus walking us through the Old Testament. They hadn't lost one of their AirPods. They lost the found, their foundation, their truth, their hope. And what Jesus is doing is saying, let's retrace our steps. Let's go back to what you already know. Let's go back to what you've seen before. Because this is what points to me. Why would Jesus go back to the Old Testament? First off, because Jesus was there throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is in every part of the Old Testament. It says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made... And with it, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the word that is being talked about here. Jesus was there for all of it. Front row seat. Active participant. Jesus did not begin in the Gospels. Jesus has always been. God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God, three in one. So when we look back at the Old Testament, any story that talks about God or God's presence, activity, heart, desires, character, anything, it's also talking about Jesus. Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. Why does Jesus take them back to these scriptures? Because the whole thing points to Jesus. Because all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. It says in John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders who are having an issue with who he is. And he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says to them a little bit after that, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And he's confronting religious leaders in these passages, telling them, if you really understood your Old Testament, you would understand who I am. Because I'm the one it's anticipating. I'm the one it's talking about. Not every single verse of every single story in the Old Testament is specifically referring to Jesus. But every single verse in every single story in the Old Testament points to Jesus, anticipates Jesus, and lets us know a little bit more about who he is and what he's about. Eugene Peterson says this, 
If we want to get the full impact of the story of Jesus and the way of Jesus, there is no substitute for taking a long, slow, leisurely pilgrimage through the pages of Genesis to Malachi, getting that river of narrative flowing through our bloodstream, observing the enormous attention given to place and person, so that this person is rooted in the immediate and the local, and named people in the neighborhood, among the animals and angels, alive in those forests and deserts. You want to understand the reality of Jesus, then we take a long, slow journey through the Old Testament. We go back to the stories like Jesus did to know how they concern him, point to him, proclaim him, and make him known. The last reason why Jesus would go back to these Old Testament stories is because he wants us to know the truth about who he is and about how we, who we are. He wants us to know the truth of who he is. And he wants us to know the truth of who we are before him. He doesn't want to go based on our personal expectations. He wants to know what he, us to realize what he has proclaimed and what he has promised. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John 17.3, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. All of the Old Testament is anticipating this reality. The way that we have life in Jesus, that we have all our hearts are longing for in Jesus. Why he had to come, why he had to walk amongst us, why he had to die, the power of his resurrection, all the life that he's promising us and offering us and guiding us in, all of the Old Testament points to that. All of the Bible proclaims that there is a God we were made to be in relationship with him. The sin of man, humankind destroyed that relationship, but the sacrifice of Jesus restores it. He came to be with us, and he came to give us life. Romans says in chapter 15, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Jesus is going through these stories with these two travelers, and we're going to be looking at these stories so that they would encourage us and so that they would give us hope. The message of the Bible points to Jesus because he's the one that gives us hope. Jesus took these travelers back to the Old Testament so that they would understand him, so that we're going to go back to these stories so that we could understand him, to help us understand how greatly he loves us, to help us understand how he is greater than any of our expectations, that he cares for us and the conversations of our heart more than we can comprehend, that he wants to lead us in a flourishing life with him. He wants us to understand the amazing privilege of being part of his family, how he makes that possible, and how we find everything our hearts long for when we are in him. Jesus went back to these Old Testament stories so that his followers would find him there. And we're going back to find him there as well. The story ends with this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further. Jesus was just going to keep going. He wasn't even going to reveal himself. He was like, I mean, can you imagine being in eternity someday if, this, if he hadn't revealed himself and Jesus interacts with them and says, hey, remember that whole walk to the Emmaus Road? And their eyes just bug out. That was you. They finally found out. That's not how it goes. But that would be really funny. He acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged, urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. 
So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us with the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered there. They found the, the women there who told them he was alive and they're like, what now? You know, um, Listen to the women. I gave you a pause. You could have said amen, but no one took it. The Lord had risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We're going to close today by receiving communion. In fact, ushers, if you could start. God, let our, our, let our eyes be open and let us recognize you. Because what do they, they say? Their eyes were open. They were with him. They were taught by him. They had by was the point when their eyes were opened and they recognized him. You, this might be your first time here. Maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe you're just coming back for a visit. Um, maybe you've been part of church for a long time. Maybe you're coming back for the first time in a while. Wherever you're at on that journey, God, open our eyes. Jesus, help us to recognize you. The, maybe the hurt that we've experienced in the past, maybe the church hurt that we've experienced in the hat, maybe the ebb and flow of life not going the way that we thought it would or the way we had hoped it would, not that those aren't real and not that those sadnesses aren't real emotions, but sometimes those things can cloud us to the reality of God and we misinterpret the truth of God rather than the fact that he has been with us and guiding us the whole way. And so I'm not saying that to minimize any of those experiences, but I'm saying, God, let us help, let us pray. God, open my eyes. God, help me to recognize you. Help me to bring the conversations in my heart to you. Help me to surrender any expectations I thought I should have and let me see the truth of who you are. Let us pray together that our eyes would be opened and that we would recognize him. So we're going to take just a moment of quiet uh, before we...